As we begin today, I want you to look to the person to your right and tell them, I have a secret to tell you. Go ahead and do that. Yeah, tell them, I have a secret to tell you. And now here it is. You're a sinner. Go ahead and tell them. Tell them. And then tell them, and there's a little bit more. And there's a little bit more. Go ahead. And there's a little bit more. And guess what it is? You're nasty. Go ahead. Say it. You're nasty. It's not. It's not nice. But it's true. Notice I don't have anybody on my right. <laughs> um, you know, as we, as we look today, as we engage the scripture, this is a safe place. A safe place for us to dialogue and to talk, although a lot of times we come in here and we want to look the best that we can be and we're put together well. And probably most of us have friends. Any, anybody, have a, anybody have a friend? Most of us have a friend, I think. Uh, you have a friend that's just absolutely obnoxious? Okay. Anybody want to raise their hand on that? You got a friend that's absolutely obnoxious? Nobody? Well, then you're that friend. Okay, there we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, when we come into church and we assemble in this place, this is family. And our hope is, uh, our hope is that as you come into the midst of this place, that, you know, everybody, you can leave here today and say, you know what, uh, everybody here recognize today that they're a sinner, unless they were sitting on the far right and they had no one else to talk to, uh, or whatnot, or on the far left, rather. Uh, but everybody here recognizes that we're a sinner. Everybody here recognizes that we're nasty in our sin. I mean, we, we, are, we are absolutely nasty in our sin. And we could go to any number of places, we could read any number of books, we could, uh, you know, we could talk about the wrath of God and the judgment of God, and we could spend until the time Jesus comes back to talk and gloat about our fallen nature and our brokenness. And there's plenty of people that do that. There's plenty of churches that will preach out the judgment of God. But I have found that whether we're talking about uh, you know, our denomination or our faith initiative or our journey in Christ, uh, what one thing makes us unique, and I've said this time and time again, and it's so, it reigns so true, is the one thing that makes us unique, that separates us from everybody else, is that five-letter word of grace. No other religion or philosophy anywhere in the universe can touch what has been given through Christ. That is why Christianity is the way, the truth, and the life through the person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one that understands grace. He's the only one that can give us grace. And he's the only one that can take us from the sinfulness of our lives, the nastiness of our lives, and give us a hope. That's far better than we ever asked or imagined. See, I envision a day that we encompass, in, in this room, that we encompass this place, that we fill this place, not with people that are perfect, not with people who have it all together, not with people who make all the right decisions, but I envision a time where every seat will be filled in this place, where there will be standing room only at First Baptist Church with the people that understand we are a broken people, we are a fallen people, but thank God we 
we are a saved people through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been radically transformed by His grace. We have been radically changed through His work, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we've done. It's not about what we wear. And so many of us, and I've, I've, I've preached about this before, so many of us have focused on the exterior, thinking that if we correct this, that it will somehow fix our situation and correct what can only be corrected by a sovereign God who's bending down into our lives and in our journey to set our hope on high. The only thing that's going to solve your anger issues, the only thing that's going to solve your addictions, the only thing that's going to solve your perception, the only thing that's going to solve your issues is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately whether that whether those issues are mental physical emotional ultimately Christ will be the solution to it all now there may be journeys and steps we have to take for instance almost all of us every single one of us need a therapist you can tell that to the person you're right you need a therapist everybody needs a therapist everybody needs listen everybody needs someone someone to speak into their life and and this, I, I shared this this week with somebody I was sitting with at the coffee company I said you know, really, when church gets it right, when we get it right about what our role is as the body of Christ, we become a hospital where people's needs are met. But more than that, this is therapy for the soul. Whether you're involved in corporate worship or whether you're in Sunday school class, small group, all of that collectively provides the therapy that we so drastically need for our lives. That's the difference in someone who's nasty and someone who has a greater understanding of understanding where we've come from, of the filth of our lives, but we don't focus. See, we're so good at focusing on the dirt of people's lives. That's what makes news sell. That's what makes all those magazines at the checkout counter. Pe why do people buy those? Because we're interested. We're fixated on brokenness. We like to celebrate other people's brokenness until the brokenness hits us. The church is supposed to be a people that, yes, are broken but have been radically transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. When we look in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writing, what is the main thrust of chapter 2? The main thrust is this, that God brings death to life. God does the impossible for us. And if we, if we think about our story, I've been, I will continue to talk about our story until the kingdom comes. Uh, because every single one of us, that's a common thread for all of us. We all have a story. We all have a past. We all have a present. And we are hopefully hopeful for the future. But some of us are so stuck in the past that we can't live in the present. Some of us are so living in the present that we are not anticipating God's next move for our future. But whether we talk about the past, present, or future, we need to come to the realization that all of those dimensions of our journey and of our life story need to be bathed in His grace. His grace must affect us at the core of who we are. If you have experienced His grace, then your life has been changed. 
You cannot experience God's grace, a true experience of God's grace, without being changed or at least taping, taking a step towards God. Our goal, listen, our goal is not to save people. That is not the goal of the church. Our goal is not to save people. Our goal is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saves us. You, you didn't get saved by the, the gospel. You did not get saved by some preacher. You did not get saved going to a Billy Graham crusade. You got saved because you were introduced to Jesus. And when you were introduced to Jesus, Jesus intersected your life. That is, crossed your life path. And you recognized that you were lost. You recognized that you were broken. You recognized that you were sinful. You recognized that you were nasty. And you needed something else besides soap and water to clean you up because soap and water focuses on the outside it doesn't focus on the inside and you and i can put ourselves together very well we can look the part but listen when there's a cancer growing inside of you and that cancer is called sin when that sin manifests itself it brings death but thanks be to god who reaches down in the midst of our death and God causes things that were dead to come to life. We all once were dead, we were once dead spiritually, and we were once lost and focused on what we wanted. Hopefully your testimony today is, I have found Jesus, but more importantly, Jesus found me. I like the image of Jesus finding us because I believe that as much as we discover what God is doing, we will discover that Jesus found us a long time before we found him. As a matter of fact, that God is working into the backdrop of our story and our lives, speaking truth and grace and giving us tidbits of what is to come in order to bring us into the saving knowledge of Christ, in order to help our journey be better than what we could ask or imagine. Some of your testimonies, some of your stories, some of your journey would give testimony to that, that God was working in your life long before you ever accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior. God is in the big things and God is in the small things. And make no mistake, even if you're here this morning and your journey is not uh, going that well, even if you would say this morning, I don't know that I've ever accepted Christ. I don't really know what it means to accept Christ. I want to I share with you the fact just take a good gaze at your life. Notice the moments and the times and the situations that God has spoken. And you never given credit to it. You just assumed it was a coincidence. You just assumed that it was good luck. There is nothing, there's no, thing, there's no such thing as good luck. And there's no such thing as coincidence. I don't know who quoted it. It's a great quote, but here's the quote. God doesn't do coincidence. Coincidence does not exist. Coincidence is when God is choosing to remain anonymous and he's working in your life without speaking Jesus all over it. See, some of us, we have been turned off to Christ. We've been turned off to faith. We've been turned off to the church. And I would dare say there's people in our community that would not only not come here, they wouldn't go to any church because the assumption has been made that in the church that's people that are put together and they look real nice and they talk real nice, but they don't talk about their real issues they don't talk about their real circumstances and there is a denial at who they are and what they are so you can tell people not at first baptist church we all said that everybody was sinners this week and we all said that we were all nasty and so you can leave this week and go out in the community and talk about your trash and that would be a good thing because i can share with you that it would be unlike any other experience in this area 
for worship. See, God is not interested in merely fixing your exterior. He's not merely interested in giving you a new paint job. He's not merely interested in making sure he smooths over the rough edges. God is interested in giving you a new life that is so radically different than what you and I have experienced. God brings death to life. We all once were dead, but now we have been made alive in Christ. At one time, our story was dark, and for some of us today, our story is still dark. We still live in the darkness. We aimlessly are going through life, filling our lives with this and that, hoping, hoping, hoping that no one will notice the subtle but great emptiness that surrounds our story. I mean, we're playing the part. And I've said this before, how do, how, do, how do we play the part? We play the part because when we've had a bad day and somebody asks us, how was your day? We say, oh, it's great. I'm doing good. How are you doing today? Oh, it's great. Liar. I mean, we're lying. When you've had a bad, and, and here, and I think, I, I think I've shared this before, and some of you need to try this. Be walking down the street, whether it's Elizabethan on your college campus, high school uh, hallway, whatever it might be. Someone asks, hey, how are you doing? Tell them, I stink. They'll just keep on walking. They want, listen, people are not even really interested in the, it's kind of a courteous, it's an automatic thing. We say, how are you doing? We're not really interested in knowing how someone's doing. We're just offering hospitality without grumbling. When the church gets it right, when a follower of Christ gets it right, we ask the question, how are you doing? And the Christian, the follower of Jesus We'll give an honest answer and we'll say, I'm doing well because such and such, or I'm not doing well because of such and such. And the follower of Jesus who hears that will take time to listen to the story. We're so busy creating a story, creating a biography, creating something that Wikipedia, Wikipedia can report, so to speak, so that we look good. We're so big with our own websites and our own desires, and we want to make sure that our biography, our testimony is polished so that it looks prestigious. But what's, what's behind our biography? For instance, my biography, if you go to read the website, of the church, you read my biography, it says, uh, you know, this is Todd Hallman, he became the pastor in 2014, he has an undergraduate degree in religious studies and philosophy from Garden Reading University, he's a master of theological studies from Duke University, and he has an MDA from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, he's passionate about missions in Rwanda, that's taken him to Rwanda on several occasions, uh, he believes that the gospel needs to be, go out to the ends of the earth, he won't stop until it's done, and he'll say, it says in there, it says, and Todd and his, uh, his wife Tabby live with their two children in Elizabethan, Tennessee. Does that give you the essence of my story no it doesn't it just tells you all the things that I've done along the journey our story really shouldn't be about what we've done our story should be about what God has done and what he's doing in our lives so we need to change our biographies on the website because the reality is, the world is hungry not to know where you've been. The world is hungry to see a person that's living and standing in the truth despite mess-ups, despite mistakes, 
despite transgressions. We serve a God who radically saves us both inside and out and transforms our lives, our call, our ministry, our present, and our future. Notice I didn't say he changes our past. Our past is a constant reminder of where we were. It should never be a constant reminder of where we're headed. Don't live in the past, but rather accept the freedom of Christ, the freedom of God, to go from living dead, so to speak, to being alive. At one time, our story was dark. And my prayer for you today is that your story today is bright with a bright future. God's love, what happens in our story, God's love at some point intersected our lives And his love has radically transformed us. And listen, it's not an emotional response to God. It's not an intellectual response to God. It is a heartfelt, deep down in the soul conviction that Christ has given his entire life for you and for me. And I'm radically different, not because I have said yes to Jesus, but because Jesus has said yes to me. God cares about our situation. He cared enough about our situation. He loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son to be the criterion through which we would be evaluated. That would separate and and, and segue time for all generations. And the amazing thing is, whether you're Hindu, whether you're Shinto, whether you are Buddhist, whether you're Christian, or any other flavor of an ism that you might find, We all define time, not by Muhammad, not by Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. (laughs) We define time by Jesus Christ. Now, I understand in our politically correct society, we've come up with new lingo. And so it used to be before Christ, and A.D. was Anno Domini, meaning in the year of our Lord. And so to be politically correct, we now call B.C.E. and C.E., before the Common Era, and common error so that we don't offend other people that might not be of our faith tradition. Bottom line, Jesus died. It said, listen, Jesus came in the world, world, the world, the word became flesh, and all time is defined by him, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. So listen, Buddhists, everybody in the world, no matter even if they're atheists, when they put the date on their paper, they're actually saying, yes, it's 2015. And it was around 2015 years ago that there was a man that came that embarked into the world. And that is his time is defined by. They can run from it. They can run from it. They can run and hide and everything else. But you're not going to change how time is defined. Because you know what? Time should be defined by the one who gives it. Jesus has given everything. He has embarked into our story. He has, he has intersected our lives. He has projected love into our situation. He has altered our paths. And thank God he has changed our story. Because many of us would be stuck in how we began this morning. We would be stuck in our sin. We would be stuck in our nastiness. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are stuck in the beauty of the cross. We are stuck in the beauty of Jesus Christ because he reached down when we cannot do for ourselves what he has done. And through grace that he has freely given us without anything that we have earned or deserve for ourselves. Because of that, we have been changed. So, what marks the Christian life from everybody else's life? Well, 
in one way, it's Jesus Christ in a major way because he's the one that did it. But the, if you want to see the tangible fruits of how a person has been radically transformed, grace is what makes the difference. Grace is what makes the difference. We are saved from our disaster through grace. And for those who have thought and fixated on His grace, for those who have received His grace, we love receiving it for ourselves and we want to apply it as much as possible. But how much is too much? How far is too far when it comes to applying His grace? Either His grace is sufficient for all, or it's not sufficient at all. And so we are stuck between these polarizations of grace and, and finding, do we discover it for ourselves? How does it apply to others? Listen, there is nothing, there is nothing, and you need to say this confidently, there is nothing, nothing that God's grace is not sufficient to deliver you and me from. Nothing. I want you to tell that to your neighbor. You need, the one soundbite I want you to leave today. There is nothing that God's grace is not sufficient to deliver you from. Tell that to your neighbor. There is nothing that God's grace is not sufficient to deliver you and me from. So I just want to ask you this. Is grace, listen, not has grace made a difference in your life. Is grace making a difference in your life, in your ministry, in your calling, in your service to the king? You say, I was saved by grace. I've been saved. Am I not in the club? I didn't realize there was a membership thing. I don't, I don't, I don't remember the Bible speaking in the New Testament of thou shalt become a member of said church. I don't remember the New Testament saying that once you accept Christ, once you become a follower of Jesus, that everything else is over. No. You and I accept Christ because He has extended His love, His great and ambitious love, His steadfast love to us. And our lives have been radically changed. And so as a result of that, as a result of our salvation, we begin a journey of faith. And that journey of faith takes us on many, 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 many different turns and obstacles. But all along, we have in the backdrop the perception of grace that we've been saved from. And we know that His grace is sufficient for us in all times, in all places, and in all situations. God's grace is not a commodity to be sold, nor is it a commodity, commodity to abuse. But it is the tremendous gift of God for those who seek it. And we must recognize that just as we have gone from death to life, that so we must offer grace to everyone that we encounter. Grace makes the difference. The mark of a Christian is grace. The mark of a, a, a Christ-centered church is grace. And listen, grace is not a name. Grace is an experience. Grace is not a doctrine. Grace is personal. Grace is messy. Grace is sticky. But grace is real because grace is transformative. And everybody collectively who is a follower of Christ will recognize the reality that without grace, we would still be dead in our sins. We would still be mired up in our mess because grace has made a difference through the person of Jesus Christ. Is grace making a difference in our lives? Because of grace, 
the Bible says in verse 5 of the passage. It says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And then verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now to me, that is a marvelous story, a marvelous depiction because it is so otherworldly. I mean... Let's think about the world a second. The world, when you mess up, the world, boop, you go. The world will crucify you. Why? Because the world crucified Jesus. So why should we expect anything else? But the body of Christ, the church followers of Jesus, those of us who have come to Christ, the Bible says that basically God reached down in the midst of our nastiness and our mess and our mire and our problems and our stickiness, and he put us and seated us beside him. I, I want you to get the imagery here. It's not that God, who is lofty above, spoke grace into our midst and we got it. Woo! Caught it. Thank you. No. That is not theologically correct. What theologically is correct is the great God of the universe who spun the moon and stars and everything in space and made everything the exact distance from the sun, constellations and everything else, the exact, the exact mathematics that needed to play out, God did it. And it is great and infinite wisdom and knowledge and power and presence. He cares about you and me. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And if you're bald, he knows how many hairs that he would like to have on your head. He knows your story. And he reaches down in the midst of who we are. Not speaking from up on high, but bending down and getting dirty with sinners and nastiness. And lifting us and bringing us up so that we cannot have a seat in the audience. So that we can have a seat at the right hand of God. So I just want to ask you this. If Jesus intersects our journey. And if we would all agree that we have been messed up, mired up and all kinds of things. And if Jesus Christ is bending down in the midst of our story and lifting us up. If, if in other words... When we accept his grace and he's reached down in the midst of who we are, he's basically given us a first-class airline ticket. How many of you have ever flown first class? Is it not amazing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have had the privilege. And how, wait a minute, let me, how many of you did not pay for the first-class ticket? Yeah, almost everybody in the room. If you pay for a first-class ticket, you should give that to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You don't need to waste your money like that. Last time I had gone to Africa in 2013, I guess, it was 2013, I got to the airport at Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I had a direct flight from Addis Ababa, 14-hour flight back to Washington. And I, I get there because I've got all my baggage, and I want to be first on board. I'm one of those types of people. I don't want anybody to get near my bag. I want to make sure my bag fits. I don't want to have to check the luggage. And so I'm walking down, little, you know, tarmac, whatnot, outside, and I get pulled. And I'm like... 
I'm not a security threat. What, what's up with this? And they bump me up to first class. Wow. And so I go into first class, and I'm like one of those people that don't belong there because I'm like, I'm like oh, wow. I, oh, I get slippers. Oh, wow. I get slippers and toothbrush and toothpaste and a comb and hairspray. And oh, my gosh, filet mignon and ribeye steak and all this stuff. And there was a guy over in first class over uh, across the plane and said, yeah, you never flown first class before, have you? I'm like, not at all. Later found out that that one way from Addis Ababa to Washington had a price of over $8,000. Whew, glad I didn't have to pay that. Glad that church credit card didn't go that far. I'm still pushing for that, what, unlimited expense, whatever it might be. Anyway, um, the reality is that that's what grace does for us. Now, here's the amazing thing. Some of you in this room have never flown. God's not interested in bringing you up on high to set you in coach. God is interested in flying you first class for the journey. He's interested in flying us first class, not, listen, not so that we can gloat in our status, but so we can recognize where we've been. So why are so many of us who've been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, why so many of us who've been given a first class ticket, why do we continue to grovel in the pit that we're in? Why do we, tend to, why do we continue to focus on how lost we were? Why do we continue to focus on our brokenness? Listen to me very carefully. Me personally. If I merely focused on my life failures, I would not be standing here today. If I merely focused on the gutter of my life, I would not be married today. If I would have focused on the defeat of my soul and on the lostness of my life, though I was raised by Christian parents and in the confines of a church, I would not be in church today. I'm not in church today because I always desired to be here. I'm not in ministry today because it was what I chose. I'm in ministry today. I'm in church today. I'm married today. I'm at First Baptist today. All because that I accepted his first class ticket to get out of my mess. Quit living like you're defeated and quit understanding that, listen, listen, you're not just someone that God has radically changed. You're a child of the king. You are an heir to the throne. You are a part of God's kingdom. You are a person of royalty, not because you had qualifications, not because you bought into it, but because Christ gave himself as a ransom for you. He substituted himself for you, period. And that changed your life. Quit living like grace has not made a difference when he has radically saved you. Quit focusing, quit focusing on the past. And look to Christ for what he can envision for your future. Because of grace, we've been lifted up and we're seated with him. We get to fly first class. God, God has reached into our story. 
and our lives, our lives are with Him, beside Him, in a place of affection, in a place of honor. And so as we come today into an invitation, I just want to ask you one question. And it's not a yes or no. <laughs> because life, I don't believe, is lived in the yes and no. Life is that uncertainty like, eh. Here's the question. How is grace making a difference in your life now? Simple question. Profound implications. Because many of you today will sit in this room and you'll say, I don't really know. Some of you will say, what's he talking about? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus changing your story. I'm talking about your story getting a whole new middle and ending. You know, the beginning, woo-wee, it's a Hollywood depiction. But the ending is a Hallmark movie. Is that not what we yearn for? We want the Hallmark movie. If you want the Hallmark movie, listen, pay attention to the one who sends the very best. And the very best that's been sent is God himself to you and for me to radically change your life, my life, the trajectories of our lives, our envision, our calling, our wants, our desires, everything. How is grace affecting you today? How is God speaking to you today? He cares about your story. He's reached down in the midst of our mess. He doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to set you on high with Him. He's offering first class tickets. The journey is fun. There's bumps along the way. Occasionally we will go through thunderstorms. Occasionally we will go through situations and complexities that we never asked or dreamed. But now make no mistake, who's flying the plane, who's directing our ship, and who deserves all the glory. The sufficiency of His grace sustains us all the way through the journey. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we've sung today, hear our praises, God. We come to you in this moment right now. And we say, based on our story and based on how you have worked, that we are committed to doing something more than just sitting idly by. Lord, for many in this room today who grace has, has transformed their lives and transformed and altered their story, God, today there are many who would say, you know what, I have not given the Lord everything in my life. There are some today that will say, you know what, grace has is, is been real to me, but I've not made it real to others. I have been a person that has, has really sucked in all the grace I can get, but I've not been a person who has bestowed grace to other people who so dramatically and drastically need it for their lives. Father, may First Baptist Church be a congregation that is so radically different than anything that we've experienced in our own lives, in our own story, that we could be the people of God for the purpose of God as we seek to in give invitations to people to join Jesus Christ in His great epic saga. God, we can write our stories, we can write our biographies, but if what we write and what we tell are all the things that we've done and we never speak about Your great mercy and Your amazing grace, 
Then, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for trying to make our story ours. Because, Lord, it's ultimately yours. So in this invitation, as we seek to make decisions, how is grace affecting us in the here and now? Some may say today, Todd, I want to know more about the grace of Jesus Christ. I not only want to be a person that uses His grace, but I want to be a person that extends His grace. And so, Todd, based on what I've heard today and based on what the Holy Spirit's done, I understand that there are people in my family, there are people in this room, there are people that are not in this room, there are people at other churches, there are people who are not in church today that I have held a grudge against or I have had some animosity towards. And today, through the power of your grace, as I've been forgiven, I'm choosing in the name of Christ to forgive them. I forgive them for hurting me. I forgive them for abusing me. I forgive them for everything in any way, shape, or form. And I release myself to you. I'm a child of the King. I'm tired of living in the ditch. Thank you for the first class ticket. I want to be on your flight. Others here may say, I made so many decisions. And to the world that looks at me, I seem like a great person. I seem to have it all together. I look the part, but in my life, in my soul, in my heart of hearts, I'm dying on the inside. I know what His grace is as a doctrine. I know what it is to think about such things. I have a brilliant mind that's done amazing things. And today I've recognized it's not about what I do. It's not about what I believe. It's not about what I say. It's about I rest alone in the sufficiency of a sovereign God who's reached down in the midst of my circumstances and given me His one and only Son. He loved me that much. This God who created the world, the universe, and all that we know, and all that is unknown. This God knows me. This God loves me. And today, I'm going to receive His grace for the first time, even though I've walked an aisle before, even though I've been baptized decades ago. Today, I finally come to the great understanding of who I am, who He is, and whose I am in Christ. And still, there may be others here today that say, you know what? I need, God is calling us, to my family, to become a part, an integral part of a church that is seeking to be an extension of grace, that's seeking not only to speak truth, but is seeking to live out the truth amidst all the, the problems and messiness that life brings. We radically surrender ourselves to Christ. We radically commit our gifts and our talents to serve Him. And I believe in the vision, the vision that this place can be filled with broken people, with an almighty God and an everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace and a loving Savior that's interested in reaching in the midst of the depravity and the darkness of our lives, our hearts, and our souls. I believe in a Jesus that can change lives. And I want to be a part of this journey. I want to soar like an eagle. I want to do new things and great things. And I believe God is moving in this place and He's moving me to be a part of this family at First Baptist. How is God leading you this morning? You faithfully respond in this invitation and as we stand, as we sing in a moment. I am resolved. I am committed. I am affirmed. You are a child of the King. Quit living like your secondhand goods and recognize that you are a top priority to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has saved you. He has loved you. 
He has died for you. And the only difference between your life and those who are lost is that you, you have accepted his free gift. You have, ex- you have accepted the life that he gives. Take the ticket. Take it. Use it. Join God in the journey. Join God on the flight. And let's soar together as we seek his will for his glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.